everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 351. And tonight, normally we'd be doing a Lore Olympus recap, but Lore Olympus doesn't come back until March 4th, I believe. Um, but that works out pretty well because Catherine finally finished watching something. I finally finished watching season two of The Umbrella Academy, and oh my god, that last battle was quite a ride. Um, Holy cow. I think three episodes, I had to watch three episodes in a row. That was not hard because at at a certain point you're like, okay, now I have to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, But I think it would be a bit much to try to recap three whole episodes. So we're just going to go into this assuming everybody else has already watched um, Umbrella Academy season two, which is a safe assumption because we are bad at TV. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to talk about various things that I thought was cool. And top of my mind is... Ben. Oh my god. Right? Oh my goodness. I mean, to go from a character that we didn't really interact with at all in the first season, hardly, and to the character that he's become by the end of the second. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because he was just kind of um, Klaus's conscience floating around Mm -hmm. his shoulder and maybe helping prove to his cultists that he could do magic, that sort of thing. But we didn't see a lot of him in season one, but... I kind of started liking him as a character in season one when it was that scene when Klaus was charging at those, um, the secret agents and he had like commandeered an ice cream van and they're driving forward as fast as the ice cream van could go, which isn't fast. And Ride of the Valkyries is playing and Ben is just sitting up in the front by the dashboard going, Wee! <laughs> I just thought, oh, that's awesome. Yes. So yeah, I mean... You had this whole scene uh, in season two where Vanya is freaking out again because she's been tortured by the FBI and Diego has found out that she's responsible for the apocalypse because she's going to blow up the FBI building and everyone's going to think it's the Russians and before you know it, it's a nuclear apocalypse. But Allison and Klaus and Diego can't get close to her because her power is just flattening everybody against the walls. And then Ben just kind of appears and he looks down at Klaus and he walks into the light because of course it's not affecting him and and he you know falls into Vanya so that he can see inside her mind and he's just he's so sweet and he's just he's exactly what Vanya needs somebody that she grew up with who freaking cares about her and thinks that she's amazing and isn't going to try to treat her like a monster but because he's in there, he's starting to fade away. And she at first thinks that this is her fault. And he's just like, it's my time to go. And he tells her one thing to tell Klaus. And then he vanishes, but it's with all this glowing light and like little particles flying off into the ether. And it's so pretty. And he was just so amazingly touching. I'm, I got chills just hearing you explain the whole scene again. I'm just like, it was really a lovely moment for that character just really just makes you tear up just a little bit and the cinematographer and the director and everybody who puts this together they just they have such lovely touches like ben when he goes into vanya's mind he's he's inside this great big empty you know mansion and there's her white violin on the table and he's looking down and hearing violin music coming out of it and you go further and further in and then you are inside the violin and it is a mansion with the little f-hole lights shining down and like that's brilliant i thought that was gorgeous just amazing and i thought for sure that vanya was going to get her heart broken again 
because when she and all of her siblings meet up together and she starts sensing that Sissy's son Harlan is in trouble and he's like he's he's reacting to her power somehow and Vanya has to go to make sure that he's okay and none of the other siblings want to do that because they're all on the run from the law and they've got more important things and Vanya just says well, I'm I'm going to have to do this. And she leaves without everybody and gets in the car. And I'm like, oh my God, are they going to leave her on her own again? And then Klaus climbs into the car, which yes. was great. I was like, oh, thank goodness. And he wanted to know if Ben had said anything before he disappeared. And Vanya tells him, he said, Klaus was never the person that kept him there. He was always afraid of going into the light. And it was exactly what Klaus needed to hear because we saw the scene where they were at um, Ben's funeral when they were all teenagers. And of course, their father is being horrible and basically telling him, well, this happened because you failed. Um, And Klaus brings Ben back and talks with him and convinces him to not go into the light. And he was so sure that he had kind of trapped his brother there on this side. And it was like, oh, that's so wonderful. And then all the other siblings climb into the car too. And I thought, yay! (laughs) I was so relieved because it just felt like Vanya came so far in this season. And I thought if they were leaving her on her own, it meant that they were still treating her like she was when she was growing up. But then to see all of them just cheerfully decide they're coming along too. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then it starts to get even more complicated. Yes. Um, Now I have to jump back a little bit because when Harlan was reacting to Vanya's powers, Sissy's husband, Carl, decided, well, this is his excuse. He's going to take Carl to an institution or something where they would keep people that they didn't know it was autism back then. They just had to have a place for inconvenient people. And he's just like, he's not listening to Sissy. He grabs her uh, Harlan up. He puts him in the truck. He's pulling out of the farmyard. And then you see Sissy and she's got the shotgun pointed at him. And I was just, yep. That was so badass. I love that. But they start wrestling for the gun and it goes off and it heads to um, Harlan in slow motion. And I thought this, this is going to be bad. This is going to kill him. And Harlan just kind of like in slow-mo leans backwards and this power just kind of flows out of him. And they did it so well. I mean, especially the warp kind of noise when the bullet <laughs> bounces off of him and goes into Carl and kills him. So I'm just <laughs> like, it. yep, that, that's it. That's one bit of, you know, inconvenience we don't have to deal with anymore. Nope. So yeah, that was a great scene all around too. Yes, very fun. I mean, and it's har- horrible for me to say it's very fun because somebody got killed, but that guy, ugh, that guy. Yeah, and he was, I mean... <sighs> He was he was obviously mad that Sissy had been sleeping with Vanya, but he didn't seem to be heartbroken about it because it really didn't seem like he cared at all about her or about Harlan. It was just the idea that her leaving him was kind of a personal affront to him. So he just yes. kind of seized on this idea when he found out, oh, yeah, Vanya's a, a Russian agent, so she was obviously just using you so we can go back to the way things were. And he's got no concern about whether Sissy's happy or you nope. know comfortable or anything. He's just like, but I... I didn't cheat on you. I didn't ever hit you. You can't ask for anything more. And Sissy says, well, I am just not from you. So that was, she's, she's become quite the badass in this season, just from her arc from the first episode. All right. So I'm looking through my notes here. Um, Episode eight started with uh, Lila taking Diego to the handler and introducing him as her boyfriend. And I love the handler's line, your vagina needs glasses. And I feel like that could be used (laughs) in so many instances, but she manages to, you know, kind of 
get her way on this and sends Diego off to, you know, watch a training video. And the training video had a little animated character called Mr. Briefcase. And oh, I looked at I that. Remember this. And I looked at that and I'm like, we need a matchup between Mr. Briefcase and Miss Minutes from the Loki TV series. It's exactly. It was, when I was rewatching it, I was just like, wow, there's a lot of similarities. Going it on really there. is. Yeah. That's kind of like, you know, ominous sort of cheerfulness going on there. But yeah, but Diego, uh, he never had any intention to go along with Lila, so he manages so. to get into the big control room, and he bullies somebody into showing him what actually caused the apocalypse, and then finds out there's this whole secret society that doesn't like the handler being in charge, because she, like, she took over, and I think she ended up eating AJ, the goldfish, and boy, yes. this... This whole season, this whole series is just bonkers sometimes that the commission was led by a goldfish in a great big human suit. And, you know, he managed to position the pebbles in his fishbowl to spell out the number that Herb, I think, was the the guy who leads the little secret society to go find out that it was five that killed Lila's parents and it was the handler who signed off on it. But Lila sees that. And the lesson she takes is that it was AJ who did it because it was his stamp the handler was using. And since it was five who had done the killing, she doesn't blame the handler, her mom, for anything. And I just, I felt so bad for AJ because you saw the fish go, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) They do such a great animation on that. I mean, it's just uh, the, the character animation that they do on stuff in this, like, way better than you would expect from a, a TV series. Yeah, you know? I think so. Yeah, and I actually was kind of hoping that we would see him again, like somehow from Insider's stomach would survive, but that didn't happen. So I won't, no. Ah, no. uh, well, but anyway, and yeah. I think the other really big thing that happened was that Five met himself from his past, who, owing to time travel mishaps, actually looks like he's 40 years older, I think. Mm-hmm. And poor Luther's in over his head completely, and the two of them get into a fight at one point, uh, and it was just crazy. But I think the thing that threw me for the loop the most was when R5 introduced himself to the other five and said, I'm actually you from 14 days in your future. And I was like, it's only been 14 days since the first episode of season one. Damn. I, I kind of think so. Yeah. Now that I do the math, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot happening in a very short period of time. I mean, for everybody else, it's been several years because they were trapped in the 60s. But still, that was that was a nice touch on the writer's part to make it that small of a time period that we're dealing with. Um, other things. When Five managed to get the other five into the time portal that he was supposed to take after the assassination of Kennedy. I felt bad that the briefcase got destroyed, but I was sure, I was so sure that R5 was going to get kicked through the portal first and he was going to have to relive all of season one. So I was really relieved that didn't happen. Oh God, no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and Kennedy did get assassinated, but Reginald Hargraves had nothing to do with it. It was the people he was in league with who had been accepting his technology, but They didn't care that he didn't want Kennedy killed. They just went ahead and did it anyway. And there's nothing he can do about it because otherwise they'll tell everybody who he really is. And then Hargraves takes his human face off and massacres all of them. And I'm like, the massacre that you can hear but can't see, that you know is happening right outside of the TV angle. That's usually the scariest. I thought they did that really well. Oh, yeah. And I think it's brilliant because it probably, you know, gets around any kind of like censorship, you know, the 
producers saying, oh, this is going to be too much for our rating or whatever. It's like, fine, we won't show anything, but we will let you hear everything. Mm -hmm. It's great. So it all goes down to this big showdown at um, Sissy's Barn where all of the Umbrella Academy is. And then the handler shows up with Lila and she like, you know, they said, well, you know, it's two against all of us. I don't think that's very good odds. And the handler says, hi, I agree. And she presses a button and all of the agents from the commission yes. start showing up and they just keep coming. Yes. It's like they're warping in with the suitcases. It's great. You just see them appear in this giant field. So we have a big battle and it turns out Lila has powers that I don't think they've ever been hinted that she had those before. You know, here's the thing. I haven't watched it in a while. Was there something where she could absorb other people's powers? Was nope. that a thing? I, I mean... I don't know that she could absorb other people's powers. She could counteract them because Klaus at one point said, well, we could all go after her because she can only counteract one of our powers at once. Or she can only counteract one of our powers at a time. And there's this pause. And one of them asks, are you sure? And he doesn't answer. I'm like, we don't know what her limitations are, but it's pretty, I mean, she bounced back Vanya's power and like leveled everything. And Allison tried to rumor her and she says, I heard a rumor and Lila breathes back that you stopped breathing. And oh, that that almost took Allison out. Luther had to wake her up or, or snap her out of it. Um, And here's something though, when all of the agents were firing at the Umbrella Academy and they were making a run for it and Diego tells everybody, run, I'll cover you. And he turns around and he stops the bullets, just kind of like uses his power to stop them in midair and then like throws them all at a a tractor, which explodes. Did we know he could do that? Now, hang on one second. I'm just going to look something up because I remember reading this very recently and I think I find it interesting. His power, and this is like of the Abrilla Academy fandom wiki, whatever, it says, trajectory manipulation. Diego had the ability to curve or even stop the trajectory of anything he throws, usually one or both of his dual knives, as well as other things in motion, such as commission bullets. So ah, yes, it's okay. not, he's always using knives, and he can always make them do exactly what he wants, but that's that's what it is, something... As long as he can get a hold of it, he can change the trajectory of it. So, yes, that is his power. I never really, I hadn't really thought about, I just, I, I guess I thought he was just good with knives. I, I did too. I no. just, I just thought he was like super secret agent man, very good with knives. I hadn't realized nope. that he had a power over things that were moving like that. But, yep. yep. Um, yeah. And uh, let's see what happened. Lila gets the drop on everybody, and then they get the drop on her, and they have realized that she is one of them. She is one of the people that was born on the same day. She just didn't happen to be one of the ones that Reginald Hargreaves got his hands on. Right. Because the handler had arranged for her parents to be executed, not for anything that they had done, not for any part they might have to play in stopping or helping the apocalypse, but because she wanted one of the people that was born like the Umbrella Academy. That's kind of been her goal. So yeah, and she actually also tried to get hold of Harlan because that was what started a lot of this because she saw that Harlan had that power. And it's, I mean, the Umbrella Academy tells Lila, your mother doesn't love you. She only loves power. That is the only thing. And it looks like they're going to convince her to join with them to, you know, so they can be her family. And then the handler shows up and guns everybody down and they all die. <laughs> it's just, it's like, oh, it happens so fast. It happens so like, fast. Oh and and uh, the handler can't talk Lila down from any of this because Lila knows the truth now. So she has to shoot her and she doesn't seem very upset about it, but she sees 
five and realizes now she gets, he, who is just still clinging to life. And she realizes that she can kill him with her own hands now. And she walks up and suddenly she gets gunned down and it's that last Nordic assassin. And I thought, Oh, that's great. The wild card. Cause he never knew what he was going to do. That's right. Especially when he realized who had been pulling the strings this time. Mm-hmm. But he looks down at five and five is remembering what Reginald Hargreaves told him about if, Tra- if time travel is a problem, start with seconds. And that's what he did. And that beautiful special effect of him just kind of like standing up, glowing and crawling through time as everybody's sort of like working in reverse, standing up from, you know, where they fell under the hail of bullets. And then he jumps into himself from the past. Now, I think they're kind of playing fast and loose with time travel in this storyline because it's not like, because before he was meeting himself 14 days, like before he had jumped to become young again, but here he time travels and time travels into his own body. So I'm not complaining, but I just think like there's not a whole lot of rules yet for the time travel in this uh, series. Yeah, it does depend. It's like he can travel through time, but he exists in other parts in time. So it is possible for him to meet himself. And yet that's not always how it works. You're right. Because sometimes it's just, he's he's just him. I don't know. Maybe, who knows, maybe all the other times that he met himself, he could have jumped into them as well if he knew where they were. I don't, because it is both, he b- jumps both in time and space. Right. So that could be part of it. And that's why that fight with him and his uh, older self was so fun, because they were both just blipping around this, you know, area. Well, meanwhile, Luther's gotten kicked in the balls. So <laughs> and and the whole anything. time that uh, the song Dancing With Myself is playing the entire time. Yes. Like, the, the musical choices in this series are always spot, spot on. On. Yes. Just great. Um, so yeah, he goes back and is able to stop the handler before she shoots. And then she still gets killed by the Nordic assassin who he and five both do just decide almost simultaneously. All right, enough. And they put their guns yeah. down and they both walk away from that. So and then the yeah. rest of the episode is everybody saying goodbye to the people they knew in the past. Um Nathan was was uh, in the room when I was finishing this up and saw the bit where Luther was trying to call uh, his old boss. And I said, you know, that's Ruby, actually, who used to be his boss when he was a wrestler. And Nathan said, oh, okay, that's why he didn't pick up the phone. So ah, yeah, because ah, he was yes, off yes. to kill um, Kennedy's assassin at that point. But, yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, and Sissy won't come with Vanya. And I think it's because Vanya's got the power to travel through time and space with her family, but Sissy doesn't. And if for some reason, they happen to break up. I mean, Sissy's going to be on her own in an unfamiliar time, which yeah. I think that's fair. I think it's easier for her to expect Vanya to stay with her than for Vanya to expect Sissy to leave everything she knows. So, yeah, not to mention, but you know, Vanya and her entire family are pretty scary. Yeah, they are. They're terrifying. But it looked like Vanya had managed to take back all of her power from Harlan so that he was a normal little kid anymore. But you saw when he's riding in the car in the back seat, he's holding his hand and he's levitating one of his toys. So obviously yeah. something else is still going on there. But yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so they do manage, they get um, a briefcase from the uh, the secret society within the commission, and they said they needed a briefcase, and Herb's just kind of looking around at all of these massacred agents. He's like, yeah, well, pick whatever you want, so just go ahead and take one. <laughs> and they managed to jump back into their mansion after the apocalypse, the original apocalypse already would have happened. So everything's absolutely fine. 
except Reginald Hargreaves is there, and he was expecting them to show up, but he says, this isn't their home because this isn't the Umbrella Academy, this is the Sparrow Academy. And they see that there are students that are there, but we don't see their faces, so we don't know if Reginald Hargreaves managed to find other people to adopt, or if he managed to reshape them based on what he had learned from them when they met him to try to keep them from turning into what he thought was a disappointment. And then suddenly somebody shows up and it's Ben. And he says, Dad, who are these assholes? And you see everybody, <laughs> shit. And that's the end of the episode. And I thought, and oh, God, I just, they made it so surprising, this development. And then they managed to identify the one element that would make it even more surprising, which is to have mm-hmm. Ben be still alive and one of the sparrows. So kudos just to the writers crazy. on that one. And I'm glad we get to see um, the actor, Justin Min. I was disappointed. When, I mean, I thought he had a very good send off, but I was disappointed that the character was going away. But apparently he's not. But I don't want him to be an asshole. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, so now you've got to watch season three, which we will definitely have a conversation about that. And of course, the news just dropped last week that Nick Offerman is going to be in the fourth and final season. And oh my God, I can't wait because he has really demonstrated like he had a very particular character in Parts and Rec. Uh-huh. And then you see him in Devs and it is something completely different. Yep. And then you see him, um, he's in The Last of Us right now, and everybody's just going crazy over the role he's had in The Last of Us. So I I just, that guy is such a chameleon, so I'm so curious to see what type of role they're going to have him play in this next one. Me too, me too. I also need to finish up season two of Ted Lasso, because apparently, uh-huh. is the new season dropping now? Because Hannah sent me a message today and said, all right, this is it, you have to finish up the season before you get spoiled with all the teaser trailers that are out. I think it's coming down the pike pretty quick. I don't remember what the date is, but yeah, it's... in. Three episodes. I think you'll get through those pretty fast. I think so, yeah. I, I, yeah. The only reason why I didn't watch them is I got so used to watching them when we were with Hannah, either when we yeah. were on vacation or when we were down there visiting mom and dad and Hannah in Florida. So, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't make myself, you know, watch it out of its element. But I'm going to do it now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about is I actually finished up season one of The Hunters. Uh-huh. Now, I've been watching this entire season and been like, it's fine. It's fine. It's interesting. It's well done. Fine. I don't necessarily need to watch the second season. And then they have something that happens in the final episode that changes everything. And I'm just like, you motherfuckers. Now I have to watch the second season. And honestly, I was prepared to hate watch it. I was going to be like, I'm going to watch it just to figure out what the hell happens. But I'm just going to call them on every bullshit thing they do. Yeah, the second season is already better than the first. I, really? I'm already, yeah, I'm already three episodes in. So okay, it's a lot, okay. A lot of stuff happening, and it's I'm enjoying it more. I seem to be invested more. So I don't know. Maybe it's because I put all the time and effort into the first season, but whatever. But um, I think something that just delighted me, though, you've got this one woman who goes to visit a guy who's signing autographs in a bookstore, and you look around. I'm like. That's the last bookstore in Los Angeles. Oh, awesome. Is that the one with the little sculpted book nooks and everything? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now, they didn't show any of that. What they showed was the main lobby area that has this really huge area, and it's got this swooping design high up in the ceilings, and it's all made out of books. I mean, it's just all like paperback books and hardback books, and that's what I saw, and I'm like, I know what that is. Technically, that store didn't exist until the 2000s, so to have it exist in 1979 is a bit of an anachronism, but that's fine. But anyway. I think it's awesome that they chose that as a filming place. We got a notification yeah. on Facebook that um, the brewery near us was going to be doing 
it was a, I guess a movie scene or something was going to be filmed there. And they put out a call for extras and everyone could Ooh. sign it for like a block of time. And I was like, I just cannot put myself in front of camera. I just, I don't think I could do that. And especially in a social yeah. situation, which is already a little problematic for me because I just kind of feel like an idiot a lot of times when I'm in public with people. But yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if that actually turns into anything. That would be really fun. I know that... Leland of the Spooky Easy podcast and Lost in Sci-Fi podcast. Uh, you know Leland. He does oh, yeah. reviews sometimes. Yeah, He works at House of Secrets in uh-huh. Burbank, a comic shop there, which is frequented by a hell of a lot of people, like in the comic book industry and even in the Hollywood industry. But they have kind of like a, a separate extra spot. It's like another little like comic book shop. They use it specifically when people need to shoot comic book scenes in TV and movies. I mean, oh, they wow. rent it out all the time. Yeah, I think apparently they were renting out like the main location and it became lucrative enough that the owner actually had the second place built so they could just always keep it nice for stuff like that. I'm like, that's awesome. I, love I, it. I remember that movie Unbreakable had part of one scene with Samuel L. Jackson in his wheelchair in a comic book store. It wouldn't that be interesting if wow. that was the, the same place? Yeah, because I haven't, I think he called it the annex or something. I haven't seen the inside. Like if, if it was in like the regular store, I'd know what I was looking at. That, but I should ask Leland what movies that's been in. But I thought that was cool. Well, we watched uh, the latest Red Letter Media episode um, that they had. It was like just released stuff, but it was like just released terrible movies. I mean, it's uh, do you remember hearing? I think they had it on NPR. There was this whole story they did about the society that was doing cryogenics, you know, oh, preserving yes, people. Yes. And yeah. the guy who was running it got so far in over his head that it basically ended up with like eight bodies stuffed into one canister. And he was yeah. buying like dry ice every single day to try to keep things going. Oh, it was crazy. That is what these movies feel like. This is like the, the, really? the film version of that. It's like people who have no business doing this and they somehow – it's so odd to think that anyone could deliberately pick all the wrong choices for making movies. But one of them, this will give you an idea, Birdemic 3. Ooh, have you seen no. Have you seen Birdemic 1 yet? No, I've heard of it, but that's it, yeah. <sighs> it's it's terrible. And But I think Jay on Red Letter Meter pointed out he's now watched all three of them. They're all the same movie. It's a character oh, yeah. who runs a business, who meets a girl, they start having a romance, and then the birds attack. And it's just like, it's the, the same beats every single movie. And it's just so, so bad. I mean, terrible filming, terrible lighting, terrible acting, terrible directing. I mean, I was asking Nathan, it's like, how do they manage to find these horrible actors? And Nathan said, it's LA. I'm sure they're everywhere. And they all probably oh, yeah. think that they're just like one role away from stardom. Yeah. But I mean, terrible. Yeah. So yeah, but the uh, the episode was fun. Okay. I would definitely recommend that. Nice. Nice. I'll check it out. Only other thing I wanted to talk about is I finally watched something this weekend. What was that? Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Oh, yeah. And? I, it's very good. It is, the effects are amazing. They did a really good job. I think it only suffers a little bit from possibly being overhyped. Just a little mm, bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just yeah. like, it can't, it's definitely not going to reach the level of the first one because the first one was new and special, but this is still cool. Uh, also has some weird editing choices. Uh, really? Which we can get into more, yeah. Just the way they cut scenes and everything. And I'm not much of an editor when it comes to that kind of stuff, but if I'm noticing, it must be kind of glaring. Nothing, nothing terrible, just me sitting there, you know, kind of looking at the screen going, oh, I wonder why they did it that way. Mm, that's fine. But it was, I really enjoyed it. 
I uh, will have a, a full conversation about it whenever you watch it, and we'll talk all about the movie. But I did want to say that, yes, I was in tears within the first six minutes. Of no, course. No lie. Yeah. <laughs> and also kind of in the last five minutes as well. So, I mean, there's they're definitely going to pull on your heartstrings in a really, I think, in a really good way. Okay. All right. Well, I was hearing, uh, seeing someone talk on Twitter about uh, this year's Oscars, and they said that they really thought that uh, everything, everywhere, all at once was going to win, you know, a lot of awards and possibly the big one. And they already yeah. knew what people were going to say. It was going to be the same people that were mad about the shape of water winning and the idea that, oh, well, it only won because it was Oscar bait, as if you could like appeal to Oscar voters with like, you know, a woman fucking a fish man and then another movie with weaponized butt plugs. I mean, it's just just like, what are these people thinking? Of course, this is an Oscar bait. This was somebody doing something completely different and it worked. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I need to watch it. That's next on my list because I mean, just by watching Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I mean, I I checked off a lot of boxes on Mm -hmm. the little Oscar watch sheet, but everything everywhere all at once has got, I think, like at least one and a half times more nominations than Wakanda got. Also, I think it's interesting that Wakanda was nominated for so many things, but it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And I need to look back. I kind of think Marvel movies tend to not get nominated for Best Picture. Not really. It might be the anti-Oscar baits. They're just like, we're not going to give the Oscar to a superhero movie, maybe? I don't know. Kind of. It, it really did surprise me that everything, everywhere, all at once got it. I mean, I think it's a fantastic movie, but it does seem so wildly different from anything that usually gets nominated for Best Picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I could see. I, I did watch... Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. That one will tear your heart out once every half an hour. (laughs) My goodness. I could see at this point, because I've watched so few, I could see that one getting it, but I'll know more after I see some of it. If we were to get it, I would not be surprised is what I'm saying. Yeah. So there aren't any wild cards that you've seen so far. You wonder why the heck would this possibly have been nominated? My God, the movie Blonde, which is the story of Marilyn Monroe. Uh Don't watch that movie. It's really? awful. It's really? awful. I didn't realize until after, it's on Netflix, and it's only gotten one nomination, and that's for Anna de Arma playing Marilyn Monroe. Uh, it's only, her nomination is the only one it got. If I had known, if I had thought, I would have gone to IMDb. It's coming in at about a 5.5 stars Ooh, right ah, now. That's, like, that's like, like bad horror movie sequel kind of rating there. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like... I've I've certainly watched worse movies, but it's certainly not great. The thing that pisses me off, the anti-abortion message in that movie is not subtle. And it's fine. Whatever you believe, you're pro-abortion, anti-abortion. I happen to be pro-choice myself, but, you know, to each their own. But my thing is, it's just, it's so blatant, you know? It's like the whoever made this movie had such an axe to grind, and it's almost like they're saying that the reason why she died sad and alone was because she was a horrible person who killed her babies. Oh, you know? God. It's just, oh, it's not. It's really wow. So, anyway. Uh, but on top of all that, it's just not a good movie. So Was Anna de Armas any good? Because I've always liked her and the stuff I've seen her in. She was very good. She was, you believed all of her emotions, and of course, you know that, I mean, some people have had a problem with, they say that it's exploiting Marilyn Monroe somehow and everything. I'm like, I think she had a pretty shit life in a lot of ways, you know, but um, she really did sell all of the emotions and the desperation. I think she was leaning pretty heavy into the breathy Marilyn Monroe voice, which mm-hmm. may not have been the best choice. She did a great job. A lot of boobs in the movie, though. I mean, if, you, if you like to watch boobs, there's a lot of boobs in that movie. So yeah, anyway, but yeah, I just don't recommend it. 
But I guess on that very weird note, uh, that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries or fan art galleries. Getting closer to WonderCon. Getting excited about that. Yes, I'm getting all the uh, the promo emails now. Mm -hmm. A new issue of Saga came out. I've got a review of that up on the site. So you have Oh, I want to get the physical copy because I read your review and you talked about them doing something a little different that you didn't notice in the online version. So I was wondering if maybe there was like an insert or something that comes with the print version instead. Oh, you, that could very well be. Because I was very confused. He said something like, he kept on talking about panel insets. And I'm like, I don't know that I saw any, whatever. <laughs> All that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So the plan is next week we will have a Night Vale recap. Uh, yep. And then after that, not only will Laura Olympus have been back, but we will have a new episode and a Fast Pass episode. So we will be back on schedule. Yeah. You would almost think we planned it, but we didn't because no. we never plan. No, we never do. But anyway, one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to you later. Tonight, normally we'd be doing a Night Vale recap, but Night Vale. Nope, that's wrong. Normally we'd be doing a Laura Olympus. Right. Shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's just, you know what? I'm going to take all of that out. (laughs) Okay. I I wasn't sure. I think all of it's good messaging, but uh, it's possibly I have to backtrack a bit too much on a lot of that. Yeah. Let me, let me try that again.